0: Take your Bibles tonight. Let's go to Joshua. Chapter 24. Joshua. You were used to that van, weren't you? Yes. You know what I didn't tell you? What? That uh, the last person that drove that was Kyle Calhoun, intern for the summer. Okay. The last time he drove it, he watched the front wheel speed ahead of him down the road. Off the front. I think I heard the brakes grinding a little bit when I was driving. I wouldn't be surprised. We put it back on. We were kind of... Waiting to see how it went with you driving it. Okay. So I'm the first guy. I'm the experiment. All right. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> it's insured, isn't it? It's a, it is insured. Yeah. No, just a question. No inference whatsoever. Amen. <laughs> thank you. Joshua 24. If you're a guest, you're very special. We appreciate you being here tonight, and thank you for coming our way. Joshua chapter 24. I let you remain seated here. I want to read. Beginning in verse number 14, Joshua 24 and verse number 14, Joshua is exhorting the children of Israel here to serve the Lord. And notice in Joshua 24 and verse 14, he says this He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Then he makes that very bold flag-planting statement, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This morning we looked at three chairs. They represented three generations of people and three individuals. Tonight, I want to go ahead and share a thought. How to pass the torch of truth to that next generation. How to pass the torch of truth. And we could probably expand it and say this to others at your workplace. How to pass the torch of truth as grandparents to your grandchildren. How to pass the torch of truth to those that are in your life unsaved who need the Lord. I want to focus on that tonight. How to take the torch of truth and pass it on to others. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for our time together. And as we bow our hearts, we pray, Father, that you would meet with us in a special way. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us to set aside already the concerns that may be cropping up this coming week, the cares that we may carry. And Lord, I pray tonight you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may you teach us how to pass the torch of truth to others. Lord, bless this thought in every heart. And Lord, we pray that it would affect every home here tonight. and this house we call your house, the house of God. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we looked at three generations. They were found in Judges chapter 2. And we were reminded that the torch of truth, or if you could say this, the crown does not necessarily endure to every generation. I want to say it again because I think it needs to be repeated in America. Just because you and I as parents are serving the Lord, doesn't necessarily mean our children will serve the Lord. It's not a guarantee. And tonight, if your children are serving the Lord, praise the Lord. But you need to recognize now as a grandparent-to-be or a grandparent currently, that doesn't necessarily mean Your grandchildren will serve the Lord. I can say this as a grandparent. Deborah and I are probably going to write a book one day about how to parent grown-up children. But I'm going to say right now, we are watching interesting things happen in uh, in churches across America with that next generation. They're selling out things that shouldn't be sold out. They're getting their wisdom from their peers rather than from the generation ahead. And nowhere do you find in Scripture you are finding wisdom this way. You are always to find it from those who are older and have been around longer. One man sought wisdom from his peers. He split the kingdom of Israel. Amen? And I'm looking at our Churches today, and I'm watching the culture encroach, and I'm watching things get in that shouldn't get in, and I'm watching philosophies of rearing, and all of it. And I have come to the conclusion that crown, if we're not careful, will not endure to that next generation. We need to be wise about this. We saw this morning these three chairs represented the three generations. We simply noted there was the godly chair, the Joshua chair. And there was the God-limited chair, that was the generation that outlived Joshua. And then there was the godless chair, which was a generation that rose up that knew not the Lord, and they served other gods. We noted first chair and third chair people are very real. They're very consistent, they're very singularly focused on their God. And as a result, there's no guile. Their public and private life is very consistent. They're very real. We noted the temperature of those in the godly chair was hot. Those in the God limited chair was lukewarm. They weren't committed. They were just involved. Those in that third godless chair, their spiritual temperature was cold. And I said there was one chair of those three that produced most of the third chair godless people in the world today. Which chair was it? Which chair was it? The second chair. Isn't that odd? You would think the godless chair would produce most of the God-hating third chair people today. But it's not. It's that second chair. It's the believers that are saved and they try to do the impossible. What is the impossible thing you can never do according to Matthew 6 and Jesus Christ? You cannot serve two masters. But here in America, in American Christianity, it's what we do. We put one foot in the Word of God and we stick the other one in the world. And we try to have the best of both. And those who see us privately, and those who know us well, they get a confusing message. They don't know what's real. Because they see us get joy from time to time in the house of God, but then they watch us get lots of joy from the world. And they don't know who they should really serve. I'm going to say this hypocrisy always hardens hearts, it always does. You talk to anybody that's hung around with people that profess to know the Lord and their life is a dual message. And you know what they start doing? They start jettisoning the truth. I remember not long ago I got a message, a note from a man in the evening service. Actually, it was after the Sunday morning service. I had just preached this and this is what the note read. I have spent the last 12 years in the second chair. And my son is a devout atheist now. He wants nothing to do with God. What can I do? Let's look at our message tonight because I answer it here. I've got interesting messages and notes and things from dads in particular that are just sorrowing for the foolish decision to stay parked in the second chair. Two quick questions. Get your pens out. Question number one I have for you tonight is we consider this thought of getting the truth to others. The context is the next generation, but to any generation. The first question is this. Who is primarily responsible to pass the torch of truth to your children? Well, could I just tell you tonight who's not responsible? The person primarily, the individuals primarily responsible to get truth to your children are not the government. Could I get an amen there? They are not listed here by Joshua as the key in getting truth to his children. Could I say tonight the Christian school is not primarily responsible to get truth to your children. Could I get an amen there? They're not the ones. I want to add this. Do you know your pastor tonight is not the one primarily responsible to get truth to your children? Who's the number one individual responsible? Joshua says in Joshua 24, As for me and my house, look at this collective reach from Dad. We will serve the Lord. Amen? The person primarily responsible is dad. Amen? The person primarily responsible is leadership in the home. And Joshua notes that. And I suppose tonight, the quick question here, what is the surest way dad's? Dads, you and I, we're going to talk here. But moms, you can also share in on this. What's the surest way for you to influence your children for the Lord to get that truth to your children? What's the quick answer? Anybody know? Write it down. Get in the first chair and stay there. Amen? Amen? You don't have to even think about it. Those in the first chair, they're walking with God. They're thermostats. They're not thermometers. They don't get taken on the temperature when they're at the club, they're one thing at church at another. When you're over here in the world, they're no, 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 no. They are thermom they're thermostats. They set the atmosphere. You walk with God, and He works through you to get the truth to others automatically. Amen. You say like that dad did. He wrote me the note. He said, Brother Dave, man, here's where my kid is. And I saw him. That kid came to church. I never saw such hateful glares in my life. There had been a time he was in church. He was in the bus ministry. He was listening to the Sunday school messages. He was saying amen. And he stared and hated every word that came from the Word of God that morning. He said, what do I do? After all my foolish decisions. You know what I told him? Same thing I'm going to tell every one of us. Because we make mistakes, don't we? We aren't infallible. We move sometimes to that second chair. The heart is prone to wander. Prone to leave. What do you do? What do you do if you've run a lousy lap? What do you do if you say, Man, I've had some losses. Here's what you do. Get back in the first chair and stay there. No matter how your race has been run, you can always, from this moment forward, finish well. Amen? Are you with me? You can finish well. You don't have to just say, okay, that's it, that's going to be my identity, that's going to be my heritage, can't change it, woe is me, and just you can change it. You can finish well. I want to be the voice to say, don't you believe the lie that you have to end this race as a failure. You can, from this day forward, drop the reins of your heart, yield to the Lord, get in that first chair, and you can finish your race well. You don't have to stay in the loser's bracket. Amen? Amen? That ought to encourage you. I believe tonight we serve the God of the second chance. I believe tonight we serve the God of the third chance. Maybe the fourth chance. Never the perpetual chance. Sooner or later, those sands run out. He said to Ephraim, he said, leave him alone. He's joined to his idols. I'm done. I don't know when that line is, but they exist. Amen? Don't you flirt with that. God's tenderizing your heart, and you're concerned, and there's a measure of conviction, you get in that first chair and finish well. Amen? So the quick answer is get in the first chair. But let me expand that thought a little bit, because I have found dealing with people, my children, others as well, there's some things that I can do to get the torch of truth to others. Number one, the first thing we should always do is teach our children, you ready for this? His Word. We should teach our children. We could say grandchildren. We could say those in our workplace that are unsaved. We can always teach them God's Word. Hebrews 4.12 Look at the power of God's Word tonight. Look with me in Hebrews 4 and verse number 12. The Bible tells us the power of God's Word here in Hebrews 4.12. He says this, For the Word of God is quick and powerful, Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word quick means alive. This book is not a dead book. This book is a living book. Amen? It is powerful. Isaiah 55 says that like rain, God sends it, it waters, it falls, and it does not return void. It brings forth fruit in some fashion when the Word of God is sent forth. I believe tonight most parents are big about teaching their children how to do their schoolwork. I believe tonight, even in our churches tonight, most parents are very big about how to play ball, how to make money, how to live a a self-sufficient life But most dads tonight do not want to teach their children. Most moms tonight do not want to teach their daughters how to live a Christ-sufficient life based on the Word of God and God's values. I was thinking about something this afternoon as I was marinating on this message. You remember what I said about the third chair? I said, that's a full chair in America today, isn't it? A lot of people don't care about God today. That's a full chair outside the walls of this congregation. But let me say something. I've, man, I'm thinking this is it. As I travel across America today, and I get to independent Baptist churches, you know what I've found? The second chair is a full chair inside these walls. Oh. That's a full chair outside the church. This is becoming a full chair in the church. Watching it. Watching it. Dad's more interested and mom's more interested in teaching how to play ball than how to get in the Word of God. Listen, you and I need to recognize that your and my wisdom, mom and dad, it's not enough. You deal with that lost person at work. Your wisdom's not enough. Your stories aren't enough. Amen? Amen? Lost people need something supernatural. And the only thing there is, is the Spirit of God and the Word of God going to the heart. My son Kevin called me a few months ago. He said, Dad, you've got to hear this. I said, what's up? He said, I went to a father-son camp out. We had a couple of days. We had dads and sons go. And so I went. And while we were at this two-day event, he said, uh, we had testimonies. And on the second day, Dad, this young man stood up. He was in his upper 20s. And he began to share his story, and this is what he shared. He was raised in a Christian home. He heard the Word of God. He even had made a profession of faith. He knew what the Bible said about how to be saved. But he went into those teenage years, and he took a hard left turn, and he began to run with the gangs. As he shared his story, Kevin said he shared that he ran with the gangs for probably four or five years And one night he got on the wrong side of town, on the rival side's turf, all by himself, and they got him. He said, they'd like to kill me. They beat me half to death. They put me in the hospital. I was unconscious for a couple of days. I came to. And as I lay there in the bed, thinking about how close I'd come to death, I thought this thought. He told these men and boys, I thought this thought. What if you'd have died? What if they killed you? You'd have died and you'd have gone to hell. He said, I would have, he said, I knew it. I had rejected God in every way you could reject him. And he said, as I lay in that bed, convalescing, I thought, you know, I ought to get saved. I ought to trust Jesus as my Savior. He said, as soon as I thought that thought, my heart revolted in horror. I didn't want to get saved. I don't want to give my life to this Jesus Christ. He said, I literally revolted in horror at the thought. I even got harder. But the next day, Grandpa came by and he gave me a a Bible and asked me if I'd read it. He said, I didn't want to read it, but lying there for the next few days, I had nothing better to do. So I reached over and I began to read the Bible. And as I read the Bible, after a day or two, my heart began to warm the things of God. He said, and a week later, I got saved. Oh, the Word of God is quick, the Word of God is powerful, it is a life changing book. The devil wants to keep you from it. God wants to get you in it. And here's the thing. When you deal with your children, you deal with your grandchildren, you deal with lost people, get them in the Word of God. Give them Scriptures. Go ahead and give them God's Word because that's what converts soul. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, identifies it. By the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. want to know why some of you struggle? I'll just throw it out for free. With the faith walk? Because you don't live in the faith book. You're getting all your stuff from the world. And the world is intent on destroying your trust in God. That book is supernatural. First of all, we must teach our children His Word. And that tells them who He is. You'll never figure out who God is apart from God's Word. You get to make Him who you want until you get in God's Word. Number two, we must be intent on teaching our children His ways. Write that down. His ways, not only who He is, but how He operates. How does our God operate? Well, first of all, when you get into Scripture, you see He deals in holiness. Write that down. We serve a God who deals in holiness. Look at First Peter with me in 1st peter in chapter 1 we serve a God who deals in holiness tonight in 1st peter chapter 1 listen to what he says in verse number 14 he begins by saying this as obedient children that's an interesting thought look up for just a moment <laughs> he had to put the adjective in there didn't he he couldn't have just said as children no He said, as obedient children. What does that mean? The inference means you can be disobedient. Amen? He wouldn't have had to put the adjective in there if your default setting was obedience now that you're saved. Amen? So he puts the adjective in there. As obedient children. That's what he wants. Well, Notice, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, which is how you live. Because it is written, listen, be holy, for I am holy. Wow. Do you know, you teach your children, you teach others God his ways, how he operates. The first thing you're going to notice as you go through Scripture, you'll find a God who deals in Holiness. Do you know tonight everything about this family that we became a part of after we got saved reeks of holiness? The day you got saved, you were filled with what kind of spirit? Holy spirit, not a wicked spirit. Amen? We read the holy scriptures, not the unholy scriptures. Amen? We're going to a... Holy heaven, not an unholy, sinful heaven. There's none of that up there. Amen. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, reading the Holy Scriptures, going to holy heaven. And our Heavenly Father, He reeks of holiness. Everything about this family deals in holiness. And everything in this world reeks of unholiness. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. You learn very quickly, as you get into the Word of God and study this God, you find out He's a God that deals in holiness. And here's my question. I put it in the notes. Do you? Your God is a holy God. Are you holy? Do your children get a mixed message? Do those you try to get the Gospel to, they see and hear two things. They hear about this holy God and then they see one of His children living an unholy life. That shouldn't be. That should not be. That should... We should represent our Father because the last time I checked, every child wants to be like Dad. Amen? He deals in holiness, number one. Number two, Right. this one. Though He deals in holiness, He delights in mercy. Praise the Lord. Look at Psalm 86. You know, as we consider teaching them His ways, we have to recognize He deals in holiness but He delights in mercy. Look at what's said here in Psalm 86 and in verse number 5. In Psalm 86 and verse 5. If you go back to Psalm 85 and verse 10, you see something that happened at Calvary. Psalm 85.10 says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Man, that's the work of Calvary. The finished work of Jesus Christ there. Now watch Psalm 86. For Thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Wow, you see that? Our God's good, not bad. Quit acting like He's bad. He's a good dad. He's a good father. Amen? And notice it says, He says, But our Lord are good and ready to forgive. It's like He's leaning forward. He's leaning forward. Wants to somehow find the reason to grant forgiveness. You ever demonstrated forgiveness? You ever demonstrated mercy to your children? He's plenteous in mercy, Scripture says. You ever demonstrate mercy to your children? How many of you have children? You say, I have children. I have children. Okay. All right. You ever demonstrate mercy? I remember, it didn't happen often in our home, but I, I would do it from time to time. We lived in an RV. We had six children with us. They were a singing group. At one time, five were teenagers. You ought to have been a fly on the wall there. And I remember there'd be a time, sooner or later, inevitably, one of the crew needed some NJP. They needed the Board of Education applied to the seat of understanding. And the nice thing about a submarine, I call it submarine warfare when you live in an RV, is you can close all the hatches and the whole crew gets to hear the lesson. And there's always a couple kids that are just like you. That's why you have so much trouble with them the law of sowing and reaping. The apple never falls far from the tree. And so I would take them back. We'd use a willow switch. It'd sting, they'd sing. And I remember early in our life of child rearing, as we would raise children, I would sometime, I would begin by saying, first of all, you know what you did wrong. And it's always almost always an attitude. It's an attitude. And they'd say, yes, sir. And i said, "Do you know, um, uh, I'd say, well, who's given you the uh, the punishment? Who's given you the the spanking? They'd look at me. They'd point at me. i say, I'm not doing this. You are asking me to do it with your attitude. I don't get any particular pleasure out of doing this. Actually, I take it back. There were times I got some real pleasure out of doing it, all right? There were times one of us is going to get happy. Amen? and then I'd look at them and I'd always say how many swats and they would measure me because if they went too low i doubled it so they'd be looking at dad to figure out how high can I go without going overboard but I don't want to go too low because then dad will go overboard so they'd measure me and I remember this one time I'm going to dice I'm going to deal in mercy they don't know it I'm just going to let them taste it and so they're looking at me and they say four I said, four. That sounds fair. You ready? Yeah! I said, I haven't even started. Say that. You ready? Yeah. This is going to hurt. I know. You probably shouldn't have had that attitude. I know. And then I'd be drama, you know. <sighs> Draw back my breath. And they'd be doing this. And then I go, tap, 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 tap. I'm like, what was that? I said, that is mercy. How'd that taste? Oh, oh, that tasted good, Dad. Oh, yeah. I said, well, if you don't like mercy, I got the real stuff. Oh, no, 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 that. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, you know, I think there's time God deals with us this way. Not all the time. But I think there's times where we pull the same thing again. And he almost must say what one of my granddaughters says with big eyes. Seriously? (laughs) You know, I mean, I mean, I I know he's got to look at us and go, you have got to be kidding me. We just went through this yesterday. You know what the end result was. And yet, here you go again. I mean, you want to be quite honest about it. Apart from the mercy of God, we just ought to be vaporized. We love paying stupid tax. Capital S. Oh, we are so ignorant sometimes. And I think there's times, you know what? He ought to just nuke us. And just... Be done with it. And He goes ahead and gives us mercy and reveals His goodness to us. You know, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's not the power of God or the judgment of God that leads. It's the goodness of God. Because at that moment, when we ought to get nuked, He shows a love to us we realize just how bad we are. Amen? They won't do it all the time, lest we think that's the go automatic. No, no, no. But there will be times they'll sprinkle some mercy to say, You may be messed up, but I'm still good. Amen? You've tasted that. How many of you have tasted that? I've tasted that. Can you raise your hand? I've tasted it. It breaks my heart. Frankly, it's meant to. Our God is a God who deals in holiness. His benchmark is unchanging. I said it this morning. You can't change who God is. He's an unchanging God. The same yesterday, today, forever. You can only allow Him to change who you are. He deals in holiness. He delights in mercy. And then He did something else. Point C. He's a God who died for people. He's a God who died for people. Do you? In fact, his priorities were people, not possessions. Isn't that interesting? His priority were people, not possessions. In fact, he left the possessions to die for the people. 2 Corinthians 8 tells us that. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be Rich. 2 Corinthians 8 9. I want to ask you tonight do your children know what your value system is? Is your value system people or is your value system things? What is it you love more, people or possessions? Amen? They ought to know your priorities, like the Lord's, were people, not possessions. And thirdly, flip the page, I believe not only must we teach our children His Word, we must teach others His ways, but we need to go ahead and teach them His wonders. Teach them His wonders. This isn't just who He is and this isn't just how He operates. This is what He has done. What He's done for you. Teach them His wonders, first of all, I wrote it in, in creation. In creation, your pastor and I were talking about that today. The heavens, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth their speech. There's nowhere their voice is not heard. Have you ever taken the time to just show creation videos? To go visit the ark that Ken Ham has? You know, this whole world system is trying to tell your children they're just a piece of goo that climbed out of a slough, landed in the zoo, and now it's you. The unholy trinity of evolution. Mother Nature, Father Time, and Lady Luck. Shazam. That's how they teach it. And it is a raw, unadulterated lie. I never brought into evolution before I became a Christian. The laws of thermodynamics destroyed the theory of evolution. The law of entropy says everything winds down when it's left to itself. It goes to a state of randomness and deterioration. You throw steel out, it doesn't become stainless steel. It deteriorates into basic elements. But the theory of evolution says leave something to its time and Mother Nature, Lady Luck, Father Time, and whoosh, it gets better. That is a theory. The law cannot be trumped by a theory. I sat in biology class and I said, this is a joke. This isn't true. But I had no other answer other than that was false. I was an unbeliever. I wasn't saved. A couple of years ago, I was in Prescott, Arizona, as I was preaching the morning service, sitting right where you guys are sitting, right there. Were, were two individuals. He was a rough-looking guy. looked like he was a longshoreman. and had worked as a as a roughneck. He had tats all over the place. And she was um, equally rough-looking. Black hair down to her belt. Green streak running right down the middle of it. And then tattoos everywhere. I preached the Word of God. And they got on my radar. And what really blew me away is I preached. She's nodding. She's smiling. She's almost saying amen. And I'm like, wow! And so when I finished the message, I grip and grin on the exit, and here they come. And there she stood before me. I said, who are you? And this is what I found out. Her name was Anz. She was from Germany. She had lived all of her life as an angry atheist. The German rationalist movement has sucked God out of that nation. And she was an angry atheist all of her life, and the number two tattoo artist in the nation of Germany. I said, what happened? You thoroughly enjoyed my preaching. She said, I did. And while she was stationed with her husband, who was an officer in the army in Okinawa, Japan, she said, I had nothing better to do. Somebody gave me some creationist videos. So I thought, what can it hurt? I started watching them. And a week or two in, she said, if this is true, that's a game changer. A few weeks later, she got saved. The very first thing she did, after she came to know the Lord as her Savior, she brought an airline ticket, she flew home to Germany, and begged her parents to forgive her for being such a wicked, hateful daughter. I guess she was something else. And when I saw her, she'd been saved for a couple of years at that point. I said, Hans, will you be here for my meeting? She said, I'm flying to Germany early tomorrow morning. I said, what are you going to do there? I'm going to show my mom and dad how to be saved. Wow. In the beginning, God, you're not chance. You're choice. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. The heavens declare who He is. Teach your children you say I've got a guy at work. I've been trying to get him to the truth. He just give him some creationist videos and dare him to watch a couple. Amen. You say I've got grandchildren. They're not interested in the Lord. My children fumble the football. Hey, get them together when you're watching them and show them some creationist videos. Start where God started in the beginning. God, He starts there in Genesis one one as He speaks to you and me. Teach our children His wonders in creation. Number one. Number two. Teach them them His wonders in salvation. Three things you ought to teach your children. Three things you ought to tell your grandchildren. Three things you ought to tell anybody. First of all, tell them His story. Jesus saves. Amen? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Don't be ashamed of the Gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Tell them His story. But number two, tell them your story. That's why I did that. I have yet to have my first person reject that tract. I've been doing it for eight months. Hey, my, uh, what's your name? Mike. Mike. And I'm David. Hey, David. Good to meet you. That's my story. Everybody's got a story. That's mine. I think you're going to like it. It's got a real happy ending. Hope you enjoy my story. I think every Christian ought to have their story printed up. I think every Christian, here's the deal. It's your story. They can't tell you it's not true. It happened. Amen? What do you mean it didn't happen? I was there. So Paul did everywhere he went. Let me tell you what happened. Man, I was on the road in Damascus. <laughs> you know, He stood before kings. What did he tell them? He told them his story and what Jesus did for him. Listen, if you're saved, you ought to have a story. I hear people all the time say, I don't know what to tell somebody. Would you just tell them what Jesus did for you? Why? I, I don't know if He did anything for me. Then you need to get a story. Amen? Does not the songwriter say, I love to tell the story? Oh yeah. Tell them his story. Tell them your story. And then write this one down. Tell them their story. Parents, tell your children. Grandma, grandpa, tell your grandchildren. Man, let me tell you what I see God doing with you. When you get saved, oh, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with you. Isn't that powerful? I'm going to say something. (laughs) Deb and I have been talking about it. She's almost ready to publish a book. I can't believe she's going to beat me to the book writing. I'm the writer. (sighs) She's on the verge of getting one published in the next month or two. But we say this all the time. And it's this. Good parents, not bad parents, good parents always have expectations for their children. They don't let them free float. They have expectations. The best parents have godly expectations. But good parents have expectations. Hey, your Heavenly Father has a whole pile of expectations for you. The day you entered His family and got born again, He didn't say, okay, hey, welcome aboard, have fun. No, He has expectations for you. He has a plan for your life and He has goals for you. He wants to change you and move you ahead for His glory. Good parents have expectations for their children. Amen? Tell them their story. Joshua said it, as for me and my house, who do you think you are, Joshua? Well, the leader. Next question. I mean, I, you know, I am in charge here. As for me and my house, what are we going to do? We're going to serve the Lord. Teach your children his wonders in creation and salvation. And then thirdly, in deliverance and dealings with you. Go to Joshua 4. Watch something interesting here. Early in the book of Joshua, they're preparing to go across to Jericho. This is following the escape from Egypt, the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And now in a very supernatural way, they're going to cross the Jordan River and go up against Jericho. Watch what happens here. Uh, Notice, I'll I'll just tell you the moment, as they cross the river, as the priests step into the river, that whole thing dries up and they walk across as an entire nation on dry ground in front of the eyes of their enemies. Supernatural. There is no way to explain this other than God's doing this. And notice here the the command God gives Joshua in Joshua 4, verse 4. Fascinating! Look at what he tells him to do to memorialize the event. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. All right, so they've got Joshua gives a command again, go into the river Jordan, uh, into it's dry. There was no muddy feet there. Dry. Every one of you, twelve men, pick up a boulder each. It's on their shoulder. This is going to be something big. Twelve boulders. Now watch the instruction in verse 20. It says here, And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, You ought to circle that next word. When. Not if. Not if. Not if, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, "What mean these stones, then ye shall let your children know saying, "Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. for the Lord, look at the transfer of ownership. Your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord did. your God did the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over." Listen, here's what's happening. The supernatural event takes place. God knows it's going to fade from the memories of people. The next generation coming may not even know what happened there. And so God says, I want you to set up memorial. I want you to take these 12 boulders. I want you to pile them up here. Obviously, they are out of place. It's like seeing a turtle on a fence post. You know that guy did not get there by himself. Amen? You know he had help. Somebody put him there. And these stones, these 12 are piled up, probably a barren area, and all of a sudden, 12 big boulders. And God said, here's what's going to happen. When your children come and they see that, you tell them a story. Here's how I can imagine it went down. They're walking along, and all of a sudden the kids say, Hey, Dad, what's up with them rocks? What are those things doing there? Dad says, sit down. Let me tell you what your God did here. And those stones became a trigger to tell a story about their God. I find it interesting and oftentimes when we begin to tell about how great our God is, we start telling what we did for Him rather than what He did for us. He didn't sit down and say, let me tell you what Dad did here. Dad was one of them that carried the ark. He didn't. It wasn't a story. The story wasn't the ark got carried across. That wasn't going to happen unless God showed up first. The story was God showed up and dried up the Jordan. That was the story the kids needed to hear. You know, it's interesting. I've often asked this question. What happened? There were numerous things got in place. You know what I think started happening? The kids stopped hearing the stories. Because somebody stopped walking past the stones. Dad had something more important he wanted to do. Dad had something else he wanted to see. Dad had a whole different focus other than what God had done. And those kids stopped hearing the stories. Because Mom and Dad stopped walking past the stones. Guarantee it. They had a city with all its lights to go show them, not some desert area. You see that had to, that was an out-of-way place. They had to go there on purpose to prompt the kid to ask the question, to tell the story. There's a lot there. You got some stories, Mom and Dad? Do you have some moments that were literally divine that you could not explain away? There's no way to explain it away. God showed up. Well, let me share one. Just one. We have a number of them. But I'll share it because I think you can appreciate this. Being on the road as an evangelist, you just never know what the finances are going to do. We got started in this ministry. We knew nine ministries, nine churches. And evangelists are primarily commission only. God made me that way. It's not even a complaint. I actually enjoy what I'm doing. Fancy that. You have no clue what our overhead is. It would probably blow your mind. But I can say this, and our overhead is not based on, it's just missions. We We just have found the joy of giving. We love it. But I remember a few years ago, about the year 2006, four of our six children were gone. We still had two in there. And we were coming through the year. As we were closing out our year, I ran into some churches. There was some real need there. A bi-vocational pastor fell off his ladder. He couldn't work his part-time job. He was broke. And as we finished the conference in that little church of about 40 people, the Spirit of God said to me, you give him the love offering. So I did. I just turned it over, signed it, didn't even look, just signed it and said, you need this more than me, brother, and into the pocket it went. Next week, same thing happened again. Oh, huh. well, I didn't see that one coming in. We gave away another love offering. This thing went for a little bit until we're coming near the end of November. We have one open Sunday, the end of November, and then one last meeting in December, and then we're three weeks of flat line because nobody has you in for the holidays. Christmas cantatas, all that. Nah, we get a three week break. We redo the we put that uh, RV in dry dock. We reconnoiter. We take a little break and we just get set up for the next year. I've got one meeting left with an open Sunday. Man, I need that open Sunday to fill. We've got two kids in Pensacola. And so I call a pastor. He's never met me, but we both know each other. And this is how the conversation went. I said, listen, brother, you don't know me. My name's Evangelist David Sommerdorf. I'm going to be in your area next Sunday... And I want you to just pray. Would you maybe pray about having me in? He said, I'll call you tomorrow. I'll let you know. I've heard of you, Brother Dave. Let me check. I hung myself or I clicked my cell phone off or stopped the call. Five minutes later, my son Kevin calls. He's in Pensacola. This is how that conversation went. Guess what, Dad? I got you in the Pensacola Orchestra Sunday night. I'm a trumpeter. I saw it was all strings tonight, so I didn't throw in and blast you guys. Uh, Yeah, amen. And so, I happen to know this is probably the only year Kevin's going to be in Pensacola. Because he's moving on to non-destructive testing, NDT. He's going into that career. And so he says, guess what, Dad? I got you in the orchestra. All excited. I said, great, son. Looking forward to it. Stop the call and then all of a sudden I went, wait a minute. That's that open Sunday I need. I said, man, what should I do? I didn't even have to pray about it. I just called that other pastor. Remember that mom's? I called him. I said, listen, brother, I just got the phone with my son. I explained the whole situation. I need to be there with him. He said, I would do the same thing, brother Dave, brother Sommerdorf." I've never gotten to his church. I can't even remember who he is. We've never hooked up again. I go to Pensacola. I come out of that, I'm in my last meeting of the year. Okay, so now I'm going to give you the numbers so you can grab them. This was back when we were first starting. I needed 3,800 in that last meeting, or I was toast. No one knew, just Deb and I. I think I shared it with you, didn't I? Hon? Sometimes I don't even read her into that stuff so she doesn't chew her fingernails. We didn't tell anybody, and I preached at that church. That's the one church I end every year with. Florida, I'm in there, and I close, Krumakuchi Baptist Church. Brother Jerry Alexander, personal friends of David Gibbs, old country boy, never went to Bible college, planted four churches in the area, just sweet guy. And then when we go, about $1,500 love offering, good solid one. But man, you yeah, know, he doesn't know it, but I'm 3800 But I don't say a word. We just preach our hearts out, minister. Following the meeting, I'll never forget this. Brother Alexander comes up to me. Thank you, Brother Dave. Big tall guy. Puts the check in my pocket. He says, you need to look at the check. I said, I don't look at checks. Not until the next day. That's when I look at a check. I don't ever want to get candid on should I come back or not. All right? You all with me? I'm being serious. not as spiritual as you think I am. All right? You're not as spiritual as you think you are either. But anyhow. But I don't. I just don't look at it. The next morning I look at it. So if the pastor says, I'd like to have you back, I'll say yes based on my schedule, not based on the finances. So he says to me, look at the check. Now you know me, Brother Alexander, I don't do that. Look at the check. I said, I'm not looking at the check. I'm looking at him like this. I'm not looking at the check. He says, look at the check. All right. I pull that thing out will never forget this. 4200 $4,200. I have never gotten one like that before. You say, well, what did you do? We gathered Chandra and Stephen up. We gathered them in. We sat them down and said, now guys, we don't read you all this stuff. That's the skipper's prerogative. I, don't, I worry about that stuff. I don't put it on you. Your job, obey, serve. Let me take care of the heavy lifting. But man, at that moment, we said, you guys, here's where we are and here's what we're coming into and we're, you know, and, uh, what do you think the Lord blessed us with? I don't know, and then I turn that check around, and I still can see Chandra, my daughter, who's engaged now. She's going to be married in February. Her eyes got as big as saucers, and he goes, "Wow, Dad! We serve a risen Savior. We serve a living Savior. He's just not the God who was." He's the God who is. He is so big, He swallows up all time and all eternity. He is eternally available to deal in the kingdoms and affairs of men and also to deal with His children and bless them. You ought to have some stones of remembrance. And you ought to let your kids know. And here's why. Because this world is trying to get them to see... You serve a God who lies and doesn't deliver. But the world can deliver. And it's not that way. It's the opposite. The world lies and doesn't deliver. It's our God who tells the truth and delivers. And you need as parents to teach your children He's worthy of their trust. He's worthy of their trust. He says, not the Lord your God, God. he's their God too. And you've tasted and you've trusted and you've seen him real. And you're trying to tell him you can trust him too. That's faith. Amen. That's faith. Go to Psalm 78. I want to close with this tonight. In Psalm 78... As you're turning there, when you get there, I want to note in the notes, and if you want to take time to study this out, you will see that God had all kinds of things in place to ensure the torch of truth got passed to that next generation. Turn to Psalm 78 and then look at the notes. Look at the traditions. I put that little italic there. Look at the traditions. He had scriptures he wanted read every year. Sometimes every day. He had Bible reading assignments. He had services and gatherings on a perpetual basis. Weekly. Deuteronomy chapter 12. He had special events we would call feasts. He had seven feasts to the nation of Israel. They were to commemorate. And there were moments when God worked in their life. Purim, when he went ahead and delivered the nation under Esther from Haman. They celebrate that every fall. He had those feasts. Everybody was to celebrate them. It was a command. He had songs they were supposed to sing all the time, repeat, annually, gather and sing these songs. He had stones of remembrance and stories, rock piles where he wanted his memory to be kept alive and the stories to be retold. And collectively, look at at what the purpose was in Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, in verse number 1, he says this. In Psalm 78, verse 1. He said, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known. Look at this. And our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Notice this, passed down. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. You're talking about four generations here. Why? Why all of this? That they might set their hope in God. You know what all these things did collectively? They shut the world out. And they pressed the truth of God and his word in. Pause. Time out. As I close tonight. Time out. Just think about this. You think about our gathering here today. The entire service this morning, the entire service tonight. You know what we did here today? We shut the world out. Do you understand? We shut the world out. We did not have a football game going up on the screen. Other than join the team picture. We shut the world out. You were told to silence your cell phone before you came in here. Amen? We shut the world out. We, we, we shut sensual things out. We shut ungodly things out. We shut things that were temporal out. And we focused on things that were internal. We sang about the eternal God. We preached about Him. We read His Word. We shut the world out. And today, we press the things of God and His Word in. Here's my question. How closely does your home tonight mimic what we did in the house of God today? Our goal was to, to be godly here, not ungodly. Our goal was to learn the Word of God, not the way of the world. Amen? Could I get an amen? amen. Yeah. Everything that was modeled here today was set with this mind. We're going to press the world out and all of its burdens and all of its values and all of its focus and all of its lusts. We're going to just push that junk out and we're going to focus on what's real. The Word of God is eternal. This world is not. We're going to focus on God's values, not the world's. And you know what? When you go home, I want to ask a question. How closely does your home mimic what took place here today. You know, I can drive through almost any community and the glow of the TV at night is illuminating almost every house in America. 20, 30, 40 hours a week. I could sit at an intersection, and I told Deb the other day, if I was a police officer, I wouldn't need radar. I would just stand at an intersection. I don't even need a car. And whoever slow go, when the light turns green, think they're on their cell phone. You know what I'm talking about. You get ticked off at the guy who lets the light cycle because it cycles just in front of you. Because Daddy sat there on theirs. Stupid's a bad word. Cell phone. We're buried in electronics. We're buried in the computer. We're wasting time. The TV's on. Your home doesn't mimic the house of God. Why should you ever expect your children to chase God with all their heart? I believe tonight... As parents, and I've not been a perfect parent. There are no perfect parents. But Let me just say this. Everything I preach today, this morning and tonight, this is big. Because this is the battle today. That's the battle. That may not be the battle in Russia, the the Soviet Union. It may not be the the battle in, in, in other third world countries. But this is our battle today. And I'm going to just say, If you and I don't man up and get serious, we might as well start counting the casualties now, because I will guarantee you the next generation of one after them isn't going to serve God. And as I close tonight, young people, got some real potential here. Just talking to your pastor said, got some good stuff here. I'm seeing good stuff. You know what, mom and dad, there's that moment where the baton gets handed off, isn't there? We run for God. We run our race. And there comes that moment where we're fading. Our energies are, are slowing down. And what do we do? There's that moment in a relay race where you're actually running side by side. You're right there beside each other. You're in a, a certain section where you're allowed to both be there. And then we go ahead and extend the baton. They reach back. Grab it. And we fade from view and watch them run. I'm amazed how quickly life goes. I'm amazed how soon my race will come to an end. And you know what my great joy is now? It's not running my race. It's to have that great joy to hear my children walk in truth. And my children's children love God more than I did. There's that baton handoff. And mom and dad, we've got to do everything we can to make it hard for them to say no. We don't want to be off over here, out of the race. and They can't even find the baton. They don't even know where the race is. We've got to make it easy. But when we do, young people, you still have your part. You have to grab it. And you've got to run your race. We cannot run it for you. You must run it. It's your race. Amen? And so as I close tonight, I say this, let's get in the first chair. And let's do everything we can to our children and for our grandchildren to make it hard for them to leave the first chair. As for me and my house, let's say this with all our heart. We will serve the Lord. You pray about these things. Don't be a hearer only. Do something. Allow God to have His way. Amen?